I'm sure many of you, if you're sports fans, or even if you're not, might have a favorite moment in Canadian sports history, maybe the most exciting moment in Canadian sports history. There are many, many things that would compete for it, but one of my lasting exciting moments in Canadian sports history is watching triathlete Simon Whitfield survive a bike crash and in the run, starting in 17th place, sprinting to the finish, reeling in the race leader, and then essentially taking off to win gold. I think it was the first time that triathlon was a medal event at the Olympics as well. This was at the 2000 Summer Games in Sydney, Australia. Perhaps few enjoyed that moment as much as Whitfield's coach at the time, Barry Shepley. At the moment also marked a culmination of a dream for him when that began watching Alex Bauman win gold back in 1984 in the pool in LA and vowing one day that he too would witness that kind of glory, be part of that kind of glory. And what's followed is a long and successful coaching career uh, in triathlon as well as in other forms and in broadcasting as well. And now you can add author to that list. He's just released a book called Chasing Greatness and Barry Shepley, currently the president of the Coaching Association of Ontario, joins me now. Thanks so much for your time on this early Saturday morning where you are back in Ontario. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. It, it continues to bring goosebumps uh, thinking about that day in September 2000. Um, you know, I was. I need to ask you about that moment because I don't know why some things just stand out to you in sports, but I remember that when it, you all of a sudden knew that he was going to win, that he was going to catch up to the German and win. And that still, to me, remains one of the most incredible moments in Canadian sport. You know what? It, I think there was a couple of reasons when you go back. First of all, the Olympics are just that you know iconic event every four years. Canada, you know, is a small player in the big, big scene of these countries with uh, 500 million, a billion people, et cetera. So when we do get a gold medal, it really is important. It's one of those things that you remember those fantastic moments. But it was a Saturday night in September when normally, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent of the country might have had a hockey game tuned in at that time of night. But it now was the Olympics in September 2000. Whitfield was a name that nobody had known. I mean, it would have been another thing if it had been built up for weeks and weeks and weeks as this guy to look out for. He had never won a major event in his life prior to the day of winning the Olympic Games on the second morning of the Olympics. And then we didn't win for another seven days. So that gold medal continued to be played over and over and over uh, for the next seven days. So he, he did it in historic fashion. It was the first ever gold medal given out in the sport. Uh, and then to do it, you know, on the iconic front of the steps of the Opera House with the Sydney Bridge in the background and to do it in the last few hundred meters, everything about it was built up for one of those fairy tale moments. And for you, I mean, what it must you were coaching him at the time. It must have been one of the I mean, there are many highlights in your career. I know that's what this book is about, but that must be certainly must be one of them. Yeah, it's it's hard to describe it because if you if the book opens, uh, I'm making bands in Windsor as a university student in 1984, and uh, I sneak away from my my task to go to the cafeteria and watch Alex Bauman in uh, July of 90, 1984 win the gold medal. And there was something, and your your listeners have to kind of picture this, you know, you're in a factory, often the, the men, it was mostly men at that time in the 80s, working on a line. They would bring their lunch bucket in, their newspaper, do their eight and a half hours, not say three words to each other, go home at the end of the shift. But suddenly they were hugging each other and cheering for a young Canadian swimmer. Alex Bauman, he had that incredible 
Canadian tattoo, you know, tattooed on his his, uh, on his pec. And and there was just something that moment. It it captured me in a way that I can't describe. But I vowed the the energy that he had created in the country and that I, I wanted to go to the Olympics. And for a short period of time. I thought it might be actually me going to the Olympics. And then I got cut from three university teams that I thought I was pretty good in. And I quickly realized that my contribution, you know, was going to be as a coach, somebody helping someone else uh, be that star. And I had met Simon Whitfield when he was just 12 years of age. I would started a, a kids' youth program across Canada called Kids of Steel, and these events are in Victoria and Vancouver and Whistler and Calgary, right across the country. Uh, but Simon Whitfield, that very first summer, came out to a Kids of Steel race in a little town called Charbot Lake outside of Kingston. And I met him at 12 years of age. And 13 years later, you know, I'm standing 35 feet away from the podium in front of the opera house, hearing the Canadian anthem. And it was like, oh, my God, that journey, you know, has come full circle and he was just the most incredible athlete to give back to the country, to give back to the sport. Uh, he came even just this summer, you know, only uh, uh, 21, 22 years later, to uh, back to my kids of steel race in the small town that I still live in and handed out medals for six hours to kids that were six and seven and eight, nine years of age. So it's been just an incredible journey with Simon, and he continues to be one of those iconic personalities. How about your journey? Uh, you know, you, you've put it all down in words. That's always something that's uh, that's quite a moment in life when you decide you have enough enough stories to fill a book a book with. Um, tell me a bit about chasing greatness and what the inspiration was for that, because I imagine part of it was that journey from that, you know, from that Alex Bauman nineteen eighty four gold to you standing in Sydney and then then beyond. Well, and there's no question that with Simon's greatness and the recognition that came to him well-deserved, there was there was some light that shone onto the coaches, and there were many coaches. I was not the only one that contributed to his incredible career. Uh, but I was able to get some opportunities because of that. The sport was just taking off on an international level, and so I was able to do commentary, and I have now for the last 20-plus years all around the world. So it, it gave me opportunities to go to you know, three dozen countries, the last six Olympic Games, uh, doing commentary. But one of the nice things was that it continued to you know resonate with me that part of this opportunity was also to give back to others and to kind of capture their moments and their dreams. So there's a story in the book, as an example, a 70-year-old athlete who had cancer, uh, he wanted to go to the Hawaii Ironman, and we had set a five-year goal uh, of him overcoming the cancer. And the Ironman, you know, this is that 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike ride, a 26-mile marathon. Yeah, and imagine doing that at, yeah. at 70 years of age. And we spent a five years together, and he got to Kona. He went the fastest a man's ever gone uh, in, in over 20-plus years, broke 12 hours which is a time that would have won the second ever Hawaii Ironman as a pro and did it as a 70-year-old. So, you know, to watch the journeys of people, maybe they didn't all win Olympic Games, uh, but in each one of these cases, they were big goals. They were people who maybe didn't necessarily even believe in themselves. And so my wife called it the Shapley Vortex. You know, we kind of get on a project. We start getting people excited about it. Uh, and then I have this kind of ability to bring other people involved. In some cases, it's sponsors. 
In some cases, it's media. In some cases, it's training partners. But suddenly, what might have seemed like a fairly insignificant, you know, event turns into somebody's kind of biggest dreams. Uh, and in one case, for example, it was a, a new immigrant to, to Canada. It was a, a man from Mexico, and he had been working at the Toronto Star and, and had read a, an article in the paper while he was doing the graphics about a family of three that had all drowned in a condo pool in Toronto. And it just, it just blew his mind that you know, three family members, two children and a mother, could all pass away in a condo pool, each trying to save each other. And because they were new immigrants, they had had no swim lessons. And so he decided he was going to do that epic Maryland Bell, 52-kilometer swim from Niagara uh, on the lake to, to Maryland Bell Park in Toronto. Right. And, and we helped him for almost two years, train for it, raise a ton of money, and free swim lessons you know, for new families that had had just come to Canada. So the book just continues to kind of share. They're not always Olympic victories, but there are these incredible Canadian stories. Every one of them are Canadian stories. And, uh, and the small little bits of, of uh, contribution that I've maybe contributed, but watching the joy of families, of fundraising, of you know, world championship titles and so forth. My guest this half hour is Barry Shepley. He's uh, the president of the Coaching Association of Ontario, but also a longtime uh, triathlon coach or coach of triathletes, I should say. He's just released a book called Chasing Greatness. He's also a broadcaster, as he's been talking about. When we come back, a few more stories from the book and just a bit more about uh, about Barry's role in all this, because I know to inspire is in of itself a great gift. Um, I know that one day you dream perhaps of being on the podium yourself at the Olympics, but it sounds like you've uh, you've your choice, your, your calling was, was clear and you've done well at it. We'll be back with that. Barry Shepley is with us this half hour. Uh, if you know triathlon, you know that name. Uh, he's now the president of the Coaching Association of Ontario. He's also a broadcaster or has been a broadcaster uh, in triathlon as well. And now an author. He's put it all down, or at least some of it down, in a book called Chasing Greatness. I know you've uh, you've coached many, 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 many athletes over the years and been at many world competitions and so on. Um, just back to the book a bit. What, what made you decide you wanted to to sort of put it all down. I mean, you talked about some of those great stories and how did you pick the stories considering how many you had to choose from? Well, you know, that actually was probably the most difficult part. Uh, there's another dozen athletes and stories that never got into the final edited version, which for me was incredibly painful when the editor looked at me and said, you know, great story doesn't just quite fit into one of those 18 chapters into either the theme or whatever the case may be. But the, ironically, it was the pandemic uh, I had to go three different times to the U.S. to announce some major events. And each time I came back to Canada, as you know, it was uh, quarantined for two weeks. So my wife had me in the basement, would put a pail of food at the top of the stairs and uh, say, see you in 24 hours, keep writing. So I had three different two-week blocks and and literally wrote the entire book in six weeks uh, of pandemic. And that was over maybe seven months of three different uh, blocks of time. But so it was a perfect opportunity. I couldn't go out coaching. I couldn't get outside. I couldn't go shopping. So I, I literally spent that time writing. And it had re- really come from doing keynotes and various other talks I would do over the years. And people would say, wow, that's such a great story. I'd love to hear more about the background of how it started, where it came from. And, and in fact, <clears throat> one of the stories in the book is from your part of the world. It was Victoria. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Simon Whitfield was living in Victoria at the time and uh, had not made the qualification standards to go to the Olympics. It was looking maybe a bit grim. Uh, he was short on cash and short on training partners. And for me to go to the Olympics, I had to be certified at what was called the level four. And the only place in Canada I could get my accreditation was in Victoria. So I'm now a 30 plus year old man living at the University of Victoria with uh, 17 year old students thinking their grandfather had had moved into residence. And uh, and I said to Simon, what, what do you need while I'm out here for this, you know, this year? And I thought he would say, look, I'm broke. I need some cash for a better bicycle. But he was always such a brilliant kid. And what he said was, I need training partners. And so I started calling athletes from Newfoundland and Saskatchewan and Manitoba right across the country. And they all said the same thing. I would love to come to Victoria and train, but I have $22,000 of student debt. and I can't afford, you know, to move across the country. So after about two or three days of brainstorming, uh, I wrote a letter and took it to about uh, 2,000 houses that are all near the Sandwich swimming pool and said, look, you don't know who I am, but uh, I have this kid, Simon Whitfield, and we need training partners. And would you take a 20-year-old university student for nine months in your house for free that are going to probably consume 6,000 calories? And, you know, I didn't make it sound quite as sexy as that. But uh, amazingly, 20 Victoria families for free took in an elite athlete for almost a year and they might have had a granny flat in one place or their, their son or daughter had moved out, got married. And there was another room in the basement. And so all these Victoria families for free became this big, huge uh, training center, if you will. And they were driving kids to the pool and they became kind of like a big extended family. So when Simon won the gold, you know, Victoria for sure had an extra special place in that uh, story because they had literally funded for free two dozen athletes who needed to come together to train in Canada with no budget. Yeah. It takes a village and Saanich was that village. That's uh, that's a great story. Um, where can people, I mean, the where I was going to save this for the end. So you can tell people where, where they can find the book. Uh, but I guess what would you like people to get out of it? I mean, I, I think you've talked about giving back and this idea that people can be inspired. What strikes me about a lot of what you've done is that sometimes even the most uh, sort of outlandish idea works like it works you, you know you can have a dream and and it works if if you put your mind to it and get some good support i mean you can you can achieve great things it strikes me that you've managed to do that with a lot of different people i think canadians really are that kind of people where when they put their mind to it whether it's in science or music or arts you know you can kind of see how canadians are sticking out around the world whether it's uh, down in california in the movies whatever the case may be and so I, i'm a incredibly proud Canadian. I, I look at lists of, you know, how Canadians are making out in music and how they're making out in sport and whatever the case may be, uh, whether they're down on scholarship in the U.S. or wherever they're at in the world. And, you know, Steve Nash, for example, I met him in Sydney, the greatest, one of the greatest Canadians I ever met in my life. And you follow his journey from Victoria to a small little college in, in California to, you know, one of the greatest ever NBA uh, All-Stars, and the last time that the Canadian men ever played at the Olympic Games was in 2000, and Steve Nash was the guy right. on that team. And in fact, you know, I don't know if I even tell the story in the book, but I know behind the scenes, he personally paid money so that parents who couldn't afford to go to the Olympic Games, you know, were at the Olympics to watch their son and daughter. Uh, and while the U.S. Dream Team, you know, had big hotels in downtown Sydney and all their security. 
And here is Steve Nash staying in the village, literally two doors from Simon and I. Uh, and I still remember on the two days before Simon raced at the Olympics, he was the only man from Canada. We had no teammates there. And I ran into Steve Nash and, and said, look, Steve, you know, this is a, a young guy from Victoria and he's here at his first Olympics. Uh, would you mind just making him feel comfortable? And when I came back an hour and a half later, Steve Nash is literally playing Frisbee with Simon out in front of, you know, our residents and, Simon, three days later, wins the gold. And 10 days later, when Canada was playing, maybe France uh, in basketball, Steve calls Simon, now who has a gold medal, and said, would you come and sit on the end of the bench and cheer on the Canadians, you know, et cetera. So it's, it's amazing how little Canadians just continue to get the job done quietly in the way that Canada really does its job. It's not always loud, but, you know, effective. And really the book is about, all these little insignificant Canadians who contributed, whether it was myself as a coach, whether it was the people in Victoria who were those incredible homestays, whether it was Steve Nash, you know, paying the bills so that Canadian parents could go watch their sons and daughters. It's just a great Canadian success story of a whole bunch of people who come together to make something very special. Barry Shepley, thank you so much for your time. The book is called Chasing Greatness. Uh, thanks so much for sharing your stories with us tonight. Thanks so much. Probably the easiest way for Canadians right now would be on Amazon as I look to get into some bookstores across the country.